Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to City Church. A place where everyone, everyone is welcome. A place of acceptance and of love. A place where you don't go to church. You are the church. Whether you're a holy roller or a new believer, whether you're searching, seeking, or skeptical, you belong here. No hidden rules. No us versus them. Just a movement of people. People that matter to God. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to City Church. Welcome to City Church. All right, City Church, would you guys please stand with us? Welcome to Easter 2017. We're going to start with our worship set, but before we do, why don't you get your hands together just like this. Stop the Lord Almighty. For who 
that we can come together on a weekend where we celebrate the death and resurrection of your son, our savior, our Messiah, the one you told us would come to bring redemption to everybody. Not just a select group, God, but every single person has an opportunity to be redeemed by you. To realize that there's a better way to live, God a way that offers hope, a way that offers a future. It doesn't promise that we won't experience hard things, God, but it does say that we have something to look forward to. And you've made that possible, God. When we sinned, when we separated ourselves from you, you made a way for us to come back. You sent your son to die on a cross for us, to take on our sin, to be humiliated just so we could come back into relationship with you and then God you resurrected him and he lives today just as we live and it's him that we worship God because without Jesus Jesus without you none of this makes sense we don't sing to anybody if you're not real God and so we ask you to break down the walls that we've put up, to speak to our hearts, to reveal yourselves to us. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to teach us, to guide us, to counsel us, to show us something different because we've done this on our own for a long time and it's not working. We submit to you. We love you when we pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus, the only name that can save. And everyone said together, Amen. And you guys can have a seat. Watching the news and scrolling through social media today can be really discouraging. It seems there's a rise in injustice, suffering, and violence. A rise in darkness. Across the globe, Christians are fined, imprisoned, and even killed for expressing their faith. Just beyond our border, orphan children are trafficked as sex slaves and for their organs. In our own backyard, it's not much brighter. 
Last year, 7,500 Bear County children were physically abused or neglected. Throughout our city, roughly 120,000 children are food insecure. And on any given night, nearly 3,000 of those without homes are on our streets seeking shelter. This darkness, it's stealing joy. It's killing the human spirit and destroying our peace. So we can't just sit idly. We have to do something. You have to do something. And here's why. You are the light of the world. Light isn't what you become. Light isn't something you aspire to be. It's the essence of who you already are. You are light. You were created to keep people from stumbling and help them see hope for their future. You exist to help others grow and feel the warmth of authentic love. So let your light shine. Partner with the Global Initiative to illuminate the dark through relief and development programs. Give your time, your talents, your money. Give whatever you have. Together, we will shine brightly and we will transform individuals, families, organizations, and communities because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. We will overcome the darkness. That is what we believe here at City Church, that every single one of you, whether or not your life currently reflects it, you are light. You were created to make a difference everywhere you go. And this global initiative that you just heard about is our way to go intentionally into under-resourced, underrepresented areas locally and globally as a church family. So the global initiative is a way for you to express your faith with action. And that's what we believe here at City Church. We don't believe in just talking about our faith, but we want to express it in love. So over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear a little bit more about how you and your family can get engaged with this global initiative. Other churches may call it a missions program. So like us on Facebook for updates. And in the meantime, get your passports current because we got places to go. Now, my name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Our, one of our teaching pastors, John Whitty, will be out shortly. But before he comes out, I just want to especially welcome all of you guys gathered here as we celebrate a very, very pivotal point in human history, a momentous occasion. That's right, the birth of the Easter Bunny. We're all gathered here today. I'm just messing with you. Making sure you're paying attention. All right, we are here gathered for Jesus's resurrection. Now, sure, okay, a couple woohoos, yes. Now, I think it is fair to be a little bit skeptical about this whole resurrection deal, right? Like, why would we celebrate something that we ourselves did not witness? And so, you know, it raises the question, how would our world be different, what would change if there was no resurrection? And for the next few moments, I want us to explore that question. So we're going to go on a journey together. Are y'all okay with that? You ready to go with me? All right. So you guys know that City Church is based in San Antonio. Why is there a San Antonio? Well, the settlers, the missionaries that settled in this area, thought it fitting to honor a man who devoted his life to teaching, influential teachings about Jesus' resurrection. And then, for those of you who are joining us outside of Texas online, we are about two hours north of a city called Corpus Christi, which means the body of Christ. 
Why is there a body of Christ, Texas? Because the explorers who settled there and found it believed in Jesus' resurrection. And so if there's no resurrection, the Google Maps app that you guys use today would have some very different names. There'd be no San Antonio, no no Corpus Christi, no San Francisco, no San Diego, Sacramento, Los Angeles. I mean, it would have very different names geographically speaking. And now also, in the ancient world, there was very little value, very little regard for human life, women, children, individuals with diseases or suffering any sort of disabilities, well, they were, they were seen as inferior beings. Women had no education. They weren't allowed to get education. They were considered property, and laws in that day reinforced this idea. Children were actually treated a lot more like plants than human beings. If any were considered a burden or seen as somebody who could not contribute to the family or to the state, well, the man, the father, had the legal right to decide whether or not that child lived or died. So many babies did not grow up. They were often disposed of by drowning or being thrown into a sewer. Obviously, our views of humanity have changed just a little. And historians at the university or Macquarie University in Australia have pinpointed exactly when that change in humanity came. And so culture started to embrace these ideas of love and humility and compassion and empathy right around the time of this supposed resurrection of a man who loved and healed the sick of a man who invited women to share a part in his community and who told his followers to be like little children. And so if there's no resurrection, there's likely no devotion to this man's teachings, which ultimately gave rise to the institutions that we know as hospitals, hospices, orphanages, and there's certainly no women's rights. In fact, the system of learning as we know it today Well, it would look a lot different if there was no resurrection. See, Jesus taught to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and wanting everyone, even the poor, to be able to love with all of their minds. Jesus' followers began to establish public libraries and public schools. The first, the 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities in the U.S. were started by followers of Jesus. The very language that we all speak, the English language, was largely shaped by the King James Bible. Look, I could go on and on, but the point is, if there is no resurrection, there's no Oxford, no Cambridge, no Harvard, there's no St. Francis of Assisi, there's no Pope Francis, no Abraham Lincoln, no abolition of slavery, No Martin Luther, no Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., no civil rights movement, no Joan of Arc, no women's rights movement, no Mother Teresa, no Dante's Inferno, no Lord of the Rings, no Superman, no Da Vinci's Last Supper, no Sistine Chapel, no Mozart's Requiem Mass, no Bach, whose greatest work expressed passion for Jesus. There's no Gregorian chants, no Gregorian calendar around which we organize our entire lives, sign and date legal documents and clock in and out of work. Look, if there is no resurrection, 
that our world was changed and built upon fake news. And of course, if there is no resurrection, then death is the final curtain call for everyone. It's all you have to look forward to. But this isn't very good news. Because if there is no life after death, then we never again see our loved ones who have already died. If there's no life after death, there's no chance for final justice to be done. There's no opportunity for uh, lives that have been lived well to be ultimately rewarded. If there's no life after this life, then what's the point of this life? No matter what you do, in the end, you just die. And yet many consider this to be a superior view of life and death. This is what atheism claims. One atheist uh, wrote this way. He said, there is no credible, empirical, or reliable scientific evidence for the truth of any religion. The books of old were not eyewitness accounts and were written long after the supposed events. They were written in days of ignorance by peoples ruled by superstition. You see, according to atheism, religion is just fake news, including the religion of Jesus. Now, you may be surprised to know that the Apostle Paul actually agreed with this. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see, if there is no resurrection, Easter is the biggest hoax in human history. We who are meeting here today are just a bunch of idiots. If we had even a shred of intellectual integrity, we would stop this service right now, walk out, and go home. Shut this place down. But what if Jesus isn't fake news? What if I could show you that the resurrection of Jesus reasonably meets the demands of the scientific method? Then you'd have one more reason to believe. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the scientific method involves four steps. The identification of a problem, the collection of data relevant to that problem that is both observable and measurable, the formulation of a hypothesis based on the data, and the testing of the hypothesis. Do the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus meet the requirements of the scientific method? Yes, they do. Let me walk you through the process represented in this chart. And let's begin with the problem. 
Stated simply, the problem was that after Jesus died, he was seen alive. You know, most of us take this for granted, but it was a big problem. Imagine the problem it would cause today if past presidents were seen alive in Washington, D.C. Imagine if Michael Jackson or Prince started holding concerts again. People would go loony. Resurrections are a problem. It's not how things usually go down. Well, is there observable, measurable data relevant to this problem? Yes, there is. There are three major pieces of data. The first is that Jesus did die. Now, this may seem obvious, but it matters because without a death, there can't be a resurrection. So what's the data on Jesus's death? That Jesus actually died was reported in all four of the gospels. But if you're a skeptic about the New Testament, that might not persuade you. However, his death was also confirmed in other historical documents written by people who were not followers of Jesus, like Josephus, Tacitus, Lucian of Samosata, and in the Talmud. Secondly, the Romans were experts in death by crucifixion. The soldiers who did the crucifying were known as death squads. If they were crucifying you, there was no way you weren't going to die. Jesus was killed by the best. Crucifixion was essentially death by asphyxiation. When someone hung on a cross, the weight of his body would pull down the intercostal, pectoral, and deltoid muscles around the lungs. The only way to overcome that and to be able to breathe again was for a person to lift themselves up on the nails in their hands and the nails in their feet. But when finally they were no longer able to do so, death was inevitable and that person's body would slump down in death on the cross. But just to make sure that they were dead, we are told that additional death blows were administered to assure death. Skulls were crushed. Some were speared through the chest cavity, as was Jesus, and others had either their knees or ankles broken so that they could no longer lift themselves up to take another breath. Not only that, but Jesus didn't die in secret. There were many eyewitnesses. His death was observed by hundreds of people, including the soldiers who crucified him, the religious leaders who opposed him, the crowd who wanted to see the show, and of course, his closest followers and family. Jesus did die. There is no denying this. The second piece of data is that Jesus was buried. Now, we are told in great detail that he was buried by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy and up to this point in his life, secret follower of Jesus. Joseph had to handle the body of Jesus in order to wrap it in linen and to place it on the shelf, the rock ledge in the tomb where he was buried. 
There would have been no doubt in Joseph's mind that Jesus was dead. And when he later saw him, there would have been no doubt that he was risen. The process of his burial was actually observed by two women who were followers of Jesus because they wanted to know exactly where he was buried. And his burial was confirmed by the Jewish religious leaders who posted guards at the tomb. Jesus died and he was buried. The third piece of data was that after dying and being buried, Jesus was observed to be physically alive again by numerous different eyewitnesses at different places and different times. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. He said that after Jesus' death and burial, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. Some of them, he said, were, most of them were still living. Some of them had passed away. Then he said that he also appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then Paul said, last of all, he appeared to him. The word appeared is just the most basic Greek word you could have, the Greek word horao. It was used 459 times in the New Testament. It was just a common everyday word for seeing something with your eyes. Jesus was seen alive again. And this observable and measurable data led to the third step of the scientific method. It led to the simple hypothesis that Jesus rose from the dead. But is this the best hypothesis? Well, let me point out the fact that there was no reason for the disciples to arrive at this hypothesis other than the fact that the data actually pointed to it. Peter and the 12 never expected to see a resurrected Jesus because they never expected him to die in the first place. You see, Jesus' disciples were Jewish and they believed that he was the Messiah and no Jew would have ever conceived that the Messiah could possibly die. He was going to be the ruler of the world. This was a completely foreign thought to him, to them. It shocked them more than anyone that he died, and it shocked them as much as anyone that he rose from the dead. They didn't fabricate this story. They simply reported what they observed. The fact that he appeared to more than 500 people, most of whom were still alive, meant that those people could be interviewed to verify that what they said they saw actually happened. And the fact that they were still alive meant that this event had only recently happened. It didn't happen long ago and then was later reported, as some claim. These events were reported immediately. Neither James nor Paul were predisposed to believe in a resurrected Jesus. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was a complete skeptic. During his lifetime, 
Before Jesus' resurrection, James never believed his brother was the Messiah. And, and Paul was an enemy of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Paul was in the process of arresting and killing Christians. Skeptics and enemies are not easily persuaded to change their opinions. You know this yourself. So why did James and Paul become believers? Well, because of the fourth step in the scientific method. The hypothesis tested out. On the first Sunday morning following his death, there was an empty tomb discovered by the same two women who had observed his burial. One way that scholars know that this testimony is valid is that it was given by women. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course, we know that women are more likely to tell the truth than men. But it wasn't that way in the first century. In the first century, women were looked down upon. They were considered to be inferior people. If the New Testament writers were making this story up, they would have planted it in the mouth of a man, not in the mouths of women. It's one more sure sign that they were telling the truth. The hypothesis tested out. Later, on that same Sunday, two men encountered Jesus while they were walking from the city of Jerusalem to the little village of Emmaus. It was a walk of about seven miles. It would have taken them a couple of hours to make it. And the whole time that they were walking, Jesus walked along with them. At first, they didn't recognize him because he had physically changed. He looked different. But when they arrived at their house and Jesus prayed with them, they suddenly realized who he was. And they went back to Jerusalem to report to the disciples that they had seen Jesus. The hypothesis tested out. While these two men were talking to Jesus' disciples, Jesus entered the room where they were. And he told them, he said, look, touch the scars in my hand. Put your hands in my side. Ghosts don't have a body. And then he said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a broiled piece of fish. And Jesus ate that right in front of them, just like you and I would eat fish. It was as if Jesus was doing an experiment to prove that he was actually alive. The hypothesis tested out. Sometime later, Jesus prepared and ate breakfast with his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And at that breakfast, he had an extended conversation with Peter. Again, the hypothesis tested out. All these events were empirically observable and measurable. Skeptics might deny the scientific credibility of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but to, if you look at the data, it meets the requirements of the scientific method. The simplest explanation of the data was that Jesus rose from the dead. All of this was observed by eyewitnesses, and it was written down relatively soon after the events took place. 
What else could the early disciples say? They simply reported what they had observed and experienced, just as the scientific method requires. And it changed their lives. And it can change your life. Because Jesus changed everything. You see, not only did Jesus predict that after three days he would be raised from the dead, but Jesus also predicted that he was going to build a gathering, start a movement, and nothing, not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. And so if you were to have asked anyone in Jesus's day in the first century, whose movement would have survived and been long lasting, the Roman empire with all of its power and resources and philosophies, or Jesus's movement of wildly uneducated, unimportant nobodies that embraced humility and compassion, well, everyone would have chosen the Roman empire to be around today. And yet here we are. In 2017, the Roman Empire has long collapsed and its legacy is a field guide for, not, for how to not do a movement. But look all around. Whenever you see the Red Cross or Salvation Army or Goodwill, World Vision, YMCA, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, you see the movement of Jesus still at work in our world 2,000 years later. And this Easter holiday, all across the globe, billions of people will gather and celebrate in Jesus' name, just as he predicted. Now think about it. You sitting right there, you attending online, you are a fulfillment of Jesus' 2,000-year-old prediction. Why is that? It's not because he's fake news. It's because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And after the third day, he rose again. He conquered death. He rescued us from its sting that we may live. And so no, death is not the final curtain call. And that means you can have hope to see your lost loved ones once again. It means you don't have to fear about rumors of war and bombs being dropped. It means you can stare down the mirror and shut down those voices of shame and insecurity and know that you are to die for. And Jesus proved it. It means you can wait for perfect justice to be restored. It means you can have redemption for your missteps. Because Jesus, because Jesus. See, you can have a new day. Everything can change. Your life does not have to be the same. And so we gather this Easter weekend to celebrate because Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, son of the living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the way and the truth. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. Start 
was there, he was there In the end, he'll be here, he'll be here After all, our hands have run He repairs, He repairs For the glory of it all is He came here for the rescue of us all That we may live for the glory of it all The glory of it all Lost, find him there, find him there. And after night, the dawn is here, the dawn is here. And after all, falls changed everything, everything. Do you wish some things would change in your own life? Would you allow Jesus to rescue you from death, 
from fear, from abuse, from betrayal, from failure? Would you let him rescue you from the doubts that you have, from crippling skepticism? You know, it's hard not to believe whenever truth is staring you in the face, having a conversation with you, eating a meal with you. And that's why all of Jesus' first disciples, when they saw Jesus again, risen from the dead, they all believed they couldn't deny the truth. Can you imagine a life lived in relationship with Jesus? Can you imagine the hope? Death is not the end. We have eternity. And his resurrection is proof of it. And that is why I'm asking you to believe. Many of you probably have believed in Jesus. Maybe you never knew fully why. Maybe this Easter has helped you see that. But perhaps there are some of you here who have never believed in him. You simply didn't know about his death, burial, and resurrection. You didn't know about his love for you, that he wants to offer you not only your best life now, but eternal life. Today, we want to invite you to believe in him and to receive him. And if you'd like to do that, I want to invite you just to pray with me right now. Just make the words I pray your own. Have a conversation with God. Father, we thank you that you get involved in our lives, that you came to this earth as Jesus of Nazareth, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And that through faith in you, you offer us eternal life. And so, Lord, for those right now who would just say to you, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe you gave him. I receive him as my Savior right now. Lord, I pray that you would confirm in their hearts and minds that they have eternal life. I thank you for that gift that you have given to us.
changed, hasn't it? Jesus changed everything. And one of the greatest ways to give expression to that, if he's changed your life, is through baptism. Next weekend, right here on this stage, we're going to be doing on-stage baptisms. It's one of the best services of the year. We do it several times through the year. And if you have believed in Jesus and you want others to know about it, invite your family and friends and come and be baptized. You can sign up online. If you don't want to do that, you're too lazy to do that, you can just show up here. We got everything you need. And join us for that. Be a wonderful way to express your belief in the resurrection of Jesus. Y'all, thank you for being a part of Easter 2017. You have a great Easter weekend. We'll see you next week.